The podcast of Matrix is a system, listener. One that's based on experience, skill sets, and you. There are other hosts, but what I'm telling you is that when it's time to dodge the billing bullets for hosting your entire podcast library online, you won't need to. Plug into the real world podcast hosting solution now at podcastermatrix.com. That's podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Who doesn't love a good story about vampires? Add in a Bernie Cross or two, some holy water, stakes to the heart, and forbidden love, and you've got the true recipe to another grand entry in the library of kick-ass 1980s television. It's time for the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 3, Episode 8, Night Prey. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. Alien. How many of you remember the feature film Alien from 1979? It's a favorite film and one that I have been pining for a long time to make a grand review of. And so... It shall be. We are on the cusp of creating this fabled alien podcast that will give everybody some insight, perspective, but most importantly, our perspectives of one of my favorite creature feature films ever of all time, Alien. Look for more information about the perspective review of 1979's Alien soon. Nick, that's all I've got for housekeeping for this episode. Let's get straight to the retail of this episode, Season 3, Episode 8. Night Prey. Jack is sitting on a park bench and is pondering good and evil. Now the two are blended. As he contemplates the events of this episode, which will unfold during the next 43 minutes. The tale has yet to be told, but thankfully, this episode allows us to venture back, back to 1969. You see, a man named Kurt is having dinner with his gorgeous young woman, his love, his life, his wife. Her name is Michelle. A dark figure is stalking them all night long. And as they walk home down the street in the evening, they enter into a dark alley where all things go wrong. They begin to kiss, and out of the shadows from above, Kurt is knocked unconscious.
purchase. And Michelle, well, she is told. Come to me. By a dark, lanky figure with an incredible manicure. He gently kisses her forehead. And begins stroking her shoulders. Give yourself to me. He bears his fangs and crunch. He takes a bite. Kurt awakens in terror to find that his love Michelle has been bitten and taken high, higher into the night air, as apparently another vampire has found and taken his night prey. Awesome inclusion of the episode title in the retail, Mike. Took me hours to think of, but we got it. Check. In another inappropriately voiced over segment, Jack laments the hunt that some are forced to take. A hunt that he too has not only taken, not only achieved success at, but feels the pain, guilt, and weariness that comes with it. Another night, 20-some years later. You mean 1989, Mike? Good show! Another gorgeous couple leaves a club and go to a place close by. A figure in a trench coat follows these two. It's Kurt, the same dude from 20 years ago, except now his hair is gray and he's got an ugly trench coat. The young man propositions his date, but she can't wait that long. The two enter into another dark alley where nothing good happens and they find a wall where the loving begins. As they launch their love, the trench-coated figure begins to close the distance. The two become more familiar, intimately familiar. Youch! Her strange bite draws blood from the young man's lip. The blood drips, and she begins to suck on his lip and change and bite. She lurches forward and strikes at the man's neck. She then turns her attention to the man in the trench coat. They fight, and as she lunges towards him, he pulls out a wooden stake, and she ends up impaling herself on the wooden stake. As he kills her, voices hissing, and wing flaps are up from above. The vetted pangs and calls of her brethren vampires witnessing vampiric death. Trenchcoated Kurt flees and breaks into a nearby church to seek sanctuary and finds a massive cross. A priest stops to confront him, and as they wrestle with the cross, whoops, out pops a dagger from the bottom of it and kills the priest. Bummer. The cross begins to glow, bright yellow, almost as if it was on fire. And as he leaves the church, another younger priest witnesses his escape. He leaves the church, and now daylight provides a warm envelope for his retreat, and trench-coated Kurt heads home with the cross. The next morning, Jack and Mickey, made aware that Jack's lifelong friend, Father McDermott, has been murdered at a church locally, are visiting the younger priest that witnessed the murder, who details the history of the cross. You see... Years ago, this cross was donated by one of our former priests, who had uh, bought it evidently at an antique store. This cross was actually used in the Crusades, and it was actually used to protect the monks that traveled here and there and everywhere, and that's why there was a blade in it. Legend had it that uh, the cross would glow with the protection of God, and they called it 
the Cross of Fire. Mickey and Jack arrive back at the Curious Kid shop and share with Johnny that Father McDermott, Jack's lifelong friend, was stabbed and killed. They think it might be one of the cursed objects, but only time will tell, as will the script. Back outside the next night, trench-coated Kurt is once again on the hunt for vampires. He finds another group of creepy, lanky individuals that are going into a local nightclub, and then a stretch limousine pulls up, and out pops a prominent guest. <gasps> it's the vampire that took his original love so many moons ago! Trench-coated Kurt tries to gain entry to the club, but is stopped by a super-thick bouncer who tells him, You're not allowed into Mr. Van Helia's club. Trench-coated Kurt turns to come back another time. Over inside the Curious Good Shop, Mickey has found the reference. The Cross of Fire! It's here! How convenient. That same evening, Trench-coated Kurt finds his way back to the club and is once again accosted by the super-thick bodyguard. His response? He whips out the cross of fire and blazes his way to truth. He melts the man into oblivion and flees. That's one way to get past the cover charge. The next day, Mickey and Johnny are reading a newspaper article about the man that was burned to death near a nightclub owned by one Mr. Van Hellier. No flammable substances were found at the scene. Unfortunately, it's only one of multiple murders in the area, and perhaps they're all tied to the cross of fire. Or vampires. Or both. Jack sends them to reconnoiter while Jack goes to visit Mr. Van Hellier. Jack arrives at Mr. Van Hellier's mansion. He rings the doorbell. And a giant gaunt man answers the door. Mr. Van Hellier isn't in. Jack wants to chat with Mr. Van Hellier to find out more information. During the discussion, they mention a cross. A cross of fire. The man has nothing else to add and takes Jack's card. Back at the Curious Good Shop, Mickey, Jack, and Johnny are pondering the history of the Cross of Fire. It seems the cross comes from a small village on the Hungarian-Transylvanian border. Legend has it that a priest sacrificed himself to protect the village from a vampire attack. It would seem that after Lewis got a hold of it, he was actually able to make the legend real. An amazing piece of knowledge garnered by all three, but mostly by one Jack Marshak. Man of knowing shit action. Trenchcoated Kurt makes his way back to Van Hellier's mansion and kills the rent-a-cop out front. Once again, the cross of fire glows a bright yellow, just like fire. He makes his way easily inside. He confronts Van Hellier with the cross, but... Before he can launch his fiery birdie death on Van Hellier, Van Hellier escapes out the window. As he searches through the mansion's rooms, he finds two women in the throes of love. He sicks the cross of fire on one of them, burning one of them to death. The second one, however, is somehow familiar. He pulls back her matted hair and it's his wife, Michelle. Later inside trench-coated Kurt's flophouse, where he's lived for the last 20 years pining for his lost love, he has shackled his wife to the floor so that she can't leave. She wishes to be released, but that won't happen until Van Hellier is dead. 
Mickey returns back to the Curious Goods shop, and Jack recounts more victims, locally, who have been drained of blood. He details feeding habits of the vampires that he is familiar with, and then continues writing. Oh, the funeral of Father McDermott is tomorrow, and he's delivering the eulogy. That makes more sense. Okay. Outside, Van Hillier has been able to discern that she, Michelle, is here. Trench-coated Kurt knows that Van Hellier is coming. Trench-coated Kurt begins to fight Van Hellier's familiar friend, and as they fight, Van Hellier tries to free Michelle from her newfound shackles. Unfortunately, Van Hellier is unable to free Michelle, and he leaves quickly. Why? Because, oh my god, daylight's coming! His familiar friend grabs him as daylight begins. They decide that perhaps they can enlist one Jack Marshak to help them. Back inside the 20-year flophouse that time forgot, trench-coated Kurt promises that he will save his wife by killing Van Hellier. But Michelle insists that if he's not gonna free her, then he must feed her. Mickey and Jack return from Father McDermott's funeral, and then Van Hellier arrives to enlist their help. He begins wooing Mickey with his magical vampire powers, but Jack interrupts. Van Hellier is able to convince them that the man that they're hunting is the man that is hunting Van Hellier! One trench-coated Kurt! As the conversation continues, Jack notices... <gasps> the man has no frickin' reflection! Creepy! They all say their goodbyes, and Jack grabs a flask of holy water! Time to get Johnny and head to the 20-year flophouse that time forgot! Later that evening, trench-coated Kurt is a John, literally, as he scores a hooker for his wife to eat. How thoughtful. Yummy. Horrifying, but necessary, right? Right? When the hooker arrives, she wants to know, what the hell is going on here? Because I am not into the kinky stuff. And now it's time to show her what this is all about. As the quiet, coaxing piano plays, Michelle's bloodlust erupts, and the hooker becomes the next version of Straight Walker Pate! Michelle is able to feed, prolonging her vampiric state, but extending her life for now. As the cherished cello music continues, we understand the level of grief that trench-coated Kurt feels. Just then, Van Hellier arrives to collect his greatest love. But it's not Van Hellier. It's Mickey and Johnny who confront trench-coated Kurt. They fight, and Mickey is able to collect the cross, and no one gets burned up at all. Uh, super wasteful, but, you know, it gets a job done making the cursed item for this episode. Recovered! Trench-coated Kurt returns to Michelle's holding area and can't escape. Not without his wife at his side! Outside, Van Hellier and his familiar friends see that Jack and company have acquired the Cross of Fire. Suddenly, the time comes for a debate. You see, Jack thinks... We've recovered the item. Anything else that happens is none of our business. We need to leave now. Well, Mickey and Johnny, well, they're going in to make a difference. Huh? As trench-coated Kurt and Michelle share sweet nothings, trench-coated Kurt compels her to make him one of them! A vampire! She latches onto his neck, and the next step in the staircase of this story carries us to the next level! 
Van Hillier and his familiar friend make their way around the lair of trench-coated Kurt and Michelle. Inside, they hear a clamoring, and then the familiar friend gets killed by newfound vampiric death from above. Kurt has his first kill as a vampire. Van Hillier confronts the newer vampire who is able to get the chain drop on Van Hillier. The two face off with a hissing, hissy fit that is one for the snake-bound ages. Van Hellier finds himself standing with an axe over vampiric trench coat of Kurt, about to deliver the final death blow. Michelle stops him and pleads with Van Hellier to not kill her husband. Van Hellier's answer? A swing of the axe! To a nearby steel pillar, that is. The power of the swing snaps off the head of the axe, and he discards the shattered wooden handle at his feet. Van Hellier has chosen to spare vampiric trench-coated Kurt's life to give his beloved what she wants. Not all vampires have bad hearts, apparently, but alas, we're going to find out firsthand here! Newly minted vampire vampiric trench-coated Kurt grabs the shredded wooden axe handle and axes the ultimate question to Van Hellier, impaling with the wooden handle! Van Hillier slumps to the floor and begins the most impressive vampiric raisin impression in vampire history. The practical effects fest is delicious, as is vampiric trench-coated Kurt's revenge. One vampire dispatched in a raisin fest. Jack yanks out an ultra cool, except for vampire flesh that is, flask of holy water. He splashes a large cross shape across vampiric trench-coated Kurt's general direction, and, very much like his previously fire-cross conquests, vampiric trench-coated Kurt ignites and eventually ends up an ashed semblance of his once-previously-love-pining self. Two vampires dispatched. Time to turn attention to the one remaining hyper-toothed mongrel inside this episode. Time to do the deed to Michelle. Jack winds up his trusty, ever-faithful flask of holy water, and then doesn't douse Michelle with it. Huh? Jack realizes that he's tired of the killing, tosses the flask of holy water in a completely different direction, and departs, leaving Michelle left only with the fuse that is her vampire's need to feed on life. As the sunrise of the next day arrives, Johnny and Mickey contemplate the impact of the previous night's events and Jack's state of mind, and as the episode ends, we find our way back to Jack on a park bench, wishing that he had the wisdom and understanding of the ages and events that vampires do to help foster him through his turmoil and deep thought. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, has goods and bads. Let's talk about the good. Mmm, vampires. I don't think I get sick of vampires inside this show, like, ever. Well, I mean, this is the and second it, time we've got vampires. Yeah, and, and it's because of their care. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is that they're able to deliver with the subject matter when it comes to vampires. Mm -hmm. But there's always that, I hate the word romantic when we think about vampires, because it's not accurate. But there's, it's, and it's not sexualized. It's somewhere in between those two. Mm -hmm. And this show, every time they've done it, they're able to showcase that perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's done here wonderfully appropriately as well. 
And you can do vampires in, in a lot of different ways. And television and movies, they've, they've made them dark, creepy, powerful, romantic, sultry, sparkly. Sultry's, good one. Yeah. Sultry's nice, sparkly, not so much. Right. But where this show is concerned, this, uh, this particular one, I feel we had a lot of influences. The writers had a lot of influences from vampire films of the 80s. Yes. There, it, it is a parent in this episode. And maybe we'll even delve further into that in our manifest moment. Mm. But until then, I love the vampire lore. And when we don't get too technical, which we don't do in this episode at all. Yeah. It's very straightforward. You know, it's vampires, okay. I, I love how they're portrayed in a negative. They're they're bad, but mm-hmm. evil? Uh, I think this episode kind of showed that maybe not all vampires are evil. Except for the 20-year hijacking of a life. I mean, you know. Well, that's, that's okay. That's something. I mean, that that's definitely something that uh, <laughs> you, you might want to seek counseling for. <laughs> Practical effects. Again, we're watching this in the year 2021 and reviewing it. And I loved every single one of the effects that we had showcased here. Mm -hmm. And it's because they were all practical. There was never a time that we ventured into any kind of anything other than practical effects inside this episode. And it all paid off. Mm. Every single instance. The editing definitely helped. We had a lot of quick cuts, a lot of uh, reaction shots to uh, from characters. I think had they attempted to do a prolonged shot of the vampire turning to raisin form, uh, it, it would have fallen apart. But there was just enough editing involved that the effect was pulled off great yeah i I think what i take most from all the effects inside this episode is that there was enough meat in everything Mm -hmm. and and never too much which we've seen inside of previous episodes and then not enough inside of previous also other previous episodes that help pull off the effects of the episode and i I thought it was great Mm mm-hmm twisty turnies inside the episode I think anyone that's listened to our program for a while now, and if you've listened to all of our programs, you have listened for a while, and you know that both Nick and I love it when the story takes us to someplace other than where you thought it was going. Nick is legend for going, okay, well, here's the roadmap. Oh, there it is. There's the roadmap. <laughs> and I, I, on the other hand, I, I don't usually take a roadmap at all, and I just like it when things go twisty-turny, which mm-hmm. this episode absolutely does. There's two or three different times, at least, that this episode goes in a direction that you wouldn't have thought that it would go. And I love that. It's an instant attention getter. It's instantly against the paradigm of what is that in-a-box vampire episode. And the magic that happens inside this episode is that you get the whole recipe of vampire in a box that also gives you twisty turns. And I love that. I love this so much that when I see an episode of anything that involves vampires, I would love it if they try to at least spin the story somehow on its ear or on its fang mm. and give us something outside the box that is not the same. And especially the end of this episode did that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, 
you mentioned that roadmap, and uh, there was a lot of roadmap that I saw for this episode. It, it, I knew that the wife was going to be alive, especially when the first time we see Van Hellier coming out of the limo, and there he's accompanied by someone shorter and shrouded in a a black shawl. I'm like, that's the wife. I didn't say it out loud because I didn't want to ruin things for you, but I'm like, that's the wife. And then sure enough, you know, 10 minutes later when we're, when we're at his mansion and two shadowy hotties are sucking blood out of each other, you know, we kill one and the other one is <gasps> his wife. And I'm like, oh, how shocking. Oh. The thing that I did not see coming, though, uh, and I thought it was a, I thought it was a really interesting uh, plot twist, was Michelle confronting Hellier by saying, "You told me he was dead." Mm. So the only reason why she kept up with the whole, "Okay, well, I'm going to stay with you, even though you kidnapped me from my husband." And turning me into a vampire, well, you know, the love of my life is dead, and I've kind of grown to love you, too. But now, oh, he's not dead. You lied to me. Uh, don't kill him. I want to be with him now. And I was like, oh, okay. But then some of the twisty turns, ah, I really didn't care for. And we're, we're, we're going to get into them pretty soon once we delve into the bads. But that whole leaving Michelle alone with with the bodies of her two dead lovers. I, wow. I mean just mm-hmm. just just talk about an ending that kind of just hits you in the gut. Mm-hmm. As well as leaving Jack on the spigot. I mean like seriously, I I love that. I I, I love that we get something sadder than than what I was going to expect at the end of a whole bunch of vampire killing. I I thought that was totally outside the box. Those are the things that we thought were good about this episode. We're curious what you thought was good about this episode. Let us know what you think by going over to our website over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what you thought was good about this episode. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, has its goods and its bads. We've covered the goods. Now let's take a look at some of the not-so-goods. Unnecessary narration. Unless you're doing a film noir type of a story, you really do not need narration in your in, in your film or, or TV show. It, it is unnecessary. It's only used when you cannot convey visually what you're trying to do. It's a cheat. Now, again, like I said, if it's part of the story, then yes, it it, it works seamlessly. This does not. As a matter of fact, if you take out the whole narration of Jack at the the first 20 seconds of this episode, actually, just get rid of the first 20 seconds of this episode completely. Start the episode with Kurt, Michelle, 1969, Mm -hmm. when they first got married. Mm -hmm. Start it there. You don't need any of that earlier stuff. That voiceover stuff is just used to add on the fact, okay, so Jack's going to be troubled during this Jack episode. Pathos. That's the only reason. That's it. There. And you could have inserted that somewhere else in the actual episode. Uh, Jack has so much gravitas inside the series that literally maybe twice, two lines, instant pathos, and we get it. He could have said everything that he said in that voiceover. 
to one of the characters in the shop at yeah. some point in time. Yeah. And, I, and I, it still would have worked. Right. And he even has a couple of lead-ins where he's talking about uh, Father McDermott inside this episode. Mm-hmm. That they would have been perfect lean-ins about how Father McDermott worked his entire life to insert whatever the hell he was doing that makes Jack realize how vital it is to give everything you've got in your life and insert whatever the, the, the that moment that the reasoning ability that you get inside of the, quote, voiceovers inside of this. I, again, uh, anytime that you can remove anything from an episode of anything and it impacts nothing, why was it there to begin with? Yeah. And I'm, I'm totally with you on the narration. It also just felt out of place because as I'm watching the front end of the episode, again, for those of you that aren't familiar, I'm actually taking notes as we watch the episodes. I actually thought they were trying to pull off a younger Jack. Yeah, I could I could totally understand that. If you're not, if you're not watching constantly as you're typing mm-hmm. yeah you, you could totally mistake young kurt as young jack with more hair yeah yeah and and i did i that's how i oh okay so jack's remembering something jack was remembering something but from recently he's remembering something that he couldn't know because the lead-in is you know who I never never would have guessed that my my life my hunt my adventures would intertwine with his Yet he didn't know anything about this character. So again, the opening narration makes no sense because yeah. the character yeah. doing the narrating doesn't know what we're about to flash back to. I totally agree with that. An unsympathetic anti-hero. Now, if I were to tell you that 20 years ago, right after I was married... The love of my life was taken from me by a bloodsucker from beyond. And I've dedicated my life, the last 20 years, of hunting and eradicating their species so that no one would have to feel my pain. If I explained that to you, would you be interested? Yes. That's what is supposed to happen here? We're supposed to believe that over the last 20 years, trench-coated Kurt, in all of his trench-coated glory, has been trench-coating the hell out of some vampires searching for the one that took his wife. But wow, he does not seem like the badass vampire hunter that 20 years of doing this would turn somebody into. Yeah. And I had a big problem with that. He's more hapless. Like, he lets somebody die just so he can get closer to the vampire, to kill her. He doesn't try to save the poor son of a bitch who, you know, was just looking for a little happy ending. And instead he got a a not so happy happy ending. (laughs) He's dead. And the vampire's just able to not only knock his cross out of his hand, just knock him halfway down the alley. So so how is this guy a a professional? I I mean, because if you're doing something for 20 years, doesn't that necessarily make you... A professional at something? Yeah. If, if we take the, the genesis of the episode and we turn that voiced over segment from Jack into Kurt, that instantly provides the story yeah. with not only some compelling detail, but that 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 opportunity to try and showcase some skill set that this man has acquired. Because if all you've ever done is walk around with stakes for the last 20 years and you still haven't figured out that Ben Hellier is the guy, you're an idiot. I mean, like... How many guys look like that that go to the same place for 20 years? Well, I don't think he's been going to the same place for 20 years. He might have been hunting them across the country. 
Mm. You know, there's that. But still, you're still hunting vampires night after night. Yeah. If you do it enough, you get good at it. Mm-hmm. So one would think, 20 years later, maybe, this guy would be good at it. Maybe trench-coated Kurt just sucks. Uh, well, I mean, he does suck because, you know, he let a... He's a vampire. He let a... He sucks as a human being because he... We, we already see he lets an innocent guy die right. just to get closer to a bait, vampire. Bait, bait, bait right. exactly. Mm-hmm. Kills a priest. Right. And does not seem apologetic at all. It's like, what? What's wrong, buddy? I just, I just really want this cross. Oh, I stabbed you. Oh, well, this is going to protect me from all those vampires out there. I don't care about you. Even so it was daylight outside. Right, well, even though, okay, well, that, that's a whole point that we can't, we can't even get into because we don't have a bad de- dedicated to the time factor right. of Compr- that first compression part. Compression syndrome. Right. right. So we're going to ignore all of that. That doesn't even matter right now. Mm-hmm. It's not important. Mm-hmm. Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> yeah, it's he, he. He's an unapologetic and he's unsympathetic. Yes, we're supposed to care about this guy because he got. He, if my wife was taken from me, I would be devastated. So we're supposed to root for the guy who's getting vengeance for his wife. Yet we don't have any. We of it. don't. Mm-hmm. We feel nothing for this idiot. Right. And then also. He, he goes and he does the one thing that, and sometimes it's done really well, sometimes, most of the time it's not, where, where the whole thing is you become the thing you hate to fight the thing you hate. The whole him becoming a vampire to be with his wife. I'm like, so you spent 20 years killing these things and now you want to be one. <sighs> and, and yeah, I mean, it's wrapped up by the end of the episode. I mean, he didn't, he wasn't a vampire long. And he wasn't really good at it when he was, but still, it's it, uh, that that kind of defeats the point of being that that character that uh, I'm I'm the I'm the killer of bloodsuckers. I'm gonna be a bloodsucker! Yay! No, I don't I don't like that. Jack's existential crisis. I'm all for Jack questioning the way things are handled in the world and in his world of acquiring cursed objects. But, wow, there wasn't enough time dedicated to his thought process leading up to the last 10 minutes of the episode where he's just like, ah, leave him. We've got the item, let's go. I don't want any of us. We're the ones who are important, not the innocent people, or not even the innocent people, just other people, other individuals. They're not important. We're the ones who are important. We got the cursed item. Get in the car. Let's go. There's not enough discussion between, and and who really cares about Johnny because uh, do you even remember him being in this episode that much? (laughs) We'll get to that. Uh, There wasn't enough conversation between Jack and Mickey to really ramp up this discussion for this being the the topper for the arc of Jack in this episode. Okay, so we're going to touch upon it in this unnecessary voiceover at the beginning. Uh, and then we're going to sprinkle it here after the death of the father. We're going to sprinkle it here uh, because now he's got to write the eulogy for the father. And then oh, now we bake the cake. And no, screw people, get in the car, let's roll. There wasn't enough. And again, we've said it plenty of times before. A couple of lines of dialogue. Couple. Max. 
And but take take the dialogue from the beginning of the voiceover, insert it into other places here in the actual episode with characters that matter, and then it makes more sense for that turn at the end where he doesn't kill the vampire. And and I I get why he doesn't do it. It's just like, well, she's she has suffered. And now she's free to make her own decisions. And Mickey's line at the end of the episode is like, you know, she's she lives another day. And every day after today, it's her choice. So she can either be good or evil. And I get that. It wasn't developed enough in this episode. And that's where it falls flat, unfortunately. I think taking 30 seconds out of any one of the what, at least a minute long shots of the young couple walking across the street Mm -hmm. or a 30 second piece of insert any other piece of part of the episodes and taking those two 30 second pieces and giving it to Jack to speak would have been a much more effective offering Mm -hmm. in, in, in giving us some solid storytelling, but also solidifying what Jack is thinking without the goofy narration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the things that we thought could have used a little work inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. But we want to know what you think. Head on over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the contact form and tell us what you think was a bad during this episode. It's time to take a break here during the Curious Goods Podcast. We will be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. What comes to mind when you hear the word horror? Is it a book you read in the dead of night that creeped you out? Is it the memories of the monsters you were sure lived under your bed? Is it a film filled with blood and gore, all thanks to a crazed killer? Join me, Nicholas J. Hearn, and my guests as we ask the really terrifying question, What scares only on Two Guys Talking Horror. TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com That's TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com This is John D. LeMay, and you're listening to the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment real impact. 
thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 3, Episode 8, Night Prey. Every time we come back from break, Nick and I present the manifest moments for this episode. A manifest moment is where Nick and I find either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element inside this episode, or something else that trips our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? My manifest moment for this episode has got to be the Canadian not Chris Sarandon. The actor playing Van Hellier. I know for a fact the costume department was like, oh yeah, we love Fright Night. <laughs> so we're going to dress this guy up to look as close as we can get on our budget like Chris Sarandon's Jerry Dandridge. Because if you watch the episode, the later half, Van Hellier is wearing the red scarf around his neck, just like Jerry Dandridge does throughout Fright Night. I, I don't mean to interrupt your moment, but... Chris Sarandon is 78 years old now. Damn. I did not know that. I did not know that either. Oh, Born 19, 1942, that. so yeah. Amazing. Amazing. What a great career. What a great actor. And I I love the fact that they tried to pay homage mm. to Jerry Dandridge and Fright Night and a whole bunch of other no, yeah. vampires. I mean, Van Hellier. Yeah, you're yeah. totally doing a Van Helsing kind of a thing, but now you're making... The van, a bad guy, of a vampire instead of the vampire hunter. Totally get it. There were shots in this episode that were right out of Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot. Yeah. A lot of homages, a lot of references from other other pieces of vampire entertainment sprinkled throughout this episode. Mm -hmm. But my personal favorite is the Canadian not Chris Sarandon. I think that's a super memorable moment. Mine inside this episode has to be... Doing a vampire in with holy water. I thought that this was an extraordinary technological achievement in regard to Jack because to date, I'm trying to remember the other film that instantly destroys a vampire like what we see here with just the splash. Just a splash? Yeah. No. Okay. But holy water has been known to kill vampires. Yeah, because, I mean, we've got uh, uh, Lost Boys. Lost Boys, the, the tub, vampires. Tub of tub, awesome. tub of holy water. And it's right. not all holy water. It's water mixed with holy holy water. So right. the cross, you know, the vampire chick getting burned to death from the cross, I was like, uh, okay, fire. Yeah, I, I can I can see vampires dying from fire as well. Uh, especially because, you know, burnt, charry mess, but still moving. I'm like, oh, yeah. Ooh, are, are we not killed? Oh, no, she's dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. She just wasn't dead yet. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, fire's fine. And then holy water. Again, this is this is one of those instances where fast and loose with the lore, mm -hmm. you necessarily do not have to stick to one version or another. You know, we know they don't like sunlight, and that seems to be a pretty common one throughout most vampire stories. <clears throat> except for when they sparkle and blade 
At, well, yeah, but he was a daywalker. Right, I know, but... But then, you know, enough sunblock. Mm-hmm. Dark, thick leather sunblock. You're fine. Just don't go to the beach without your motorcycle <laughs> helmet. <laughs> anyway, my moment inside this episode that you've completely commandeered... Yep, is... that's me. Commandeering <laughs> is destroying a vampire in a fiery blaze, no less. That was just awesome. Cross shade, I mean, too. Was super cool uh, with holy water inside this episode. That's where we ask you guys what was your manifest moment for this episode? Season three, episode eight. Night Prey. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at curiouskidspodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what was your manifest moment. Aha, vocabulary. The words that make Mike and Nick Brain go round inside of the Curious Goods podcast. We have three inside this episode, our first of which is... Vampirism. Thanks to our friends over at visualthesaurus.com, we are able to find out that vampirism is the belief in the existence of vampires or the actions or practices of a vampire, which are on thick, clear showcase inside this episode in a number of visages. Our second vocabulary word inside of this episode is... Ill-starred. Now, ill-starred is an interesting word that we found by digging into the word unlucky. Because beyond Jack's friends, especially ones that are he would consider lifelong and or family friends, well, those people are doomed. And so I started digging yes. into the word doomed and found ill-starred. Ill-starred is listed as marked by or promising bad fortune. Ain't that the truth. And it is the truth. And I, I wonder if, you know, again, had this show been able to get seven years out of it, wouldn't it have been very interesting to find out that it's not actually the people that are tethered to Jack, but Jack himself. And that's where we start talking about that tragic figure that they were trying to paint mm. inside this episode which i am all for oh yeah i just want it to be painted appropriately yeah and the voiceovers that were used inside of this episode did not paint my opinion at all what we were trying to be showcased inside this episode for jack at all i will suckle on the teat of jack's pathos all night long when the milk is yummy the I milk, agree. the totally milk, agree. the milk in this episode totally sour. In fact, the milk from this episode promised was ill-starred. And our last bonus vocabulary word inside this episode is unserviceable. Ah, uh, our love of Johnny Ventura. Who? I don't know. Is he in the show? Oh, he is in the show. He, I think he had four minutes of screen time. It was terrible. Five, four or five minutes, maybe. It was terrible. And I was trying to find something that wasn't the word worthless because he is inside this episode. There's there's no purpose whatsoever for Johnny inside this episode. If he wasn't in this episode, it would make no difference. It, it's exactly like Jack's voiceovers on the front and end of this episode. It's akin to Johnny's appearances. Mm-hmm. The, there's zero impact up or down for Johnny Ventura inside this episode. If he'd have been off, if the pizza that he was getting was being collected in Italy and he was flying back during the collection of this episode, it wouldn't have made any difference at all. And that's kind of when I look at a, uh, and I look at all series like this where 
if you've got almost the entire full cast, but you leave off some people, why is it you did that when you've got almost all the cast anyway? Mm-hmm. I understand the episodes where you want to focus on something like Data and Jordy. Okay, fine. Have at it. But when you start including the rest of the cast and then you just kind of forget one, what, what, what are we doing there? Mm. Inside of this show, we, we don't have a robust cast. We got three people, and then we got some idiot that's got a, a good, period. And then maybe some soon-to-be-dead family friends of Jack's. Right. Or an old boyfriend that's going to be killed of Mickey, and that's about it. We, we really don't, or maybe the father of, of Johnny, who, oh, wait, he's already dead. So uh, we, there's not a whole lot of people to use, and so why don't you use the people? And it just, it seems to me that, uh, that just leave them out. Yeah. I, 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 I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. And again, unserviceable is what Johnny is sadly listed as. A very interesting word that in adjective form means not ready for service, not capable of being used, not in working order, inoperative as a result of heat or friction, not able to perform its normal function, not having or performing a function, and having no beneficial use or incapable of functioning usefully. I am, of course, referring to one Johnny Ventura. The bottom line is that I would love for the rest of the episodes in the series to at least try to craft a frame for Johnny Ventura that is not waiting for Jack and Mickey to arrive back at the hut with pizza and beer. Really? That's where we ask you guys, what vocabulary did you think of inside this episode? Season 3, Episode 8. Night Grave. Let us know what you think by going over to our website over at CuriousKidsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what you think. Episode Rating. Ah, the rating inside of the Curious Goods Podcast. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. A vampiric raisin impression that would leave the California raisins drooling in jealousy. A 1 is on the bottom of the scale. Have you seen Johnny Ventura? Everything starts as an average with a 7. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no habsies. Nick, what do you got? Well, I've got something that would totally fix this episode and make it stellar and deserve its place in the echelon of great Friday the 13th, the series episodes. First of all, write Johnny out of the episode. Johnny's following up on a lead somewhere about a cursed He's item. out writing a book. Whatever. Well, no. He's doing what they usually did with Jack in the first two seasons. Jack's hunting down an item, okay? Johnny's following up on leads. Fine, he's gone. All right, vampire hunter. Okay, so the vampire hunter. Let's let's take away the murderous. Oh, I killed a priest. Oops. Let's, we can get rid of that. <laughs> Those of you that aren't watching can't see Nick's Nick's hand shapes and active isms. <laughs> Very animated. Oops. So so what you do is you actually to to hammer home the existential crisis that Jack has, what if Jack and Mickey ally themselves with Kurt, the vampire hunter, because, well, you know, it's vampires, it's bad, they're evil, I have this cursed object that I use to kill 
the vampires. You help me, and I've, I finally tracked down the one who took my wife, who killed my wife. Help me end my crusade, and this is yours. Mm, I dig that a lot. So now Jack has to dance with the devil. And then we get to use Mickey as the bait in the club, lure the vampires out, da-da-da-da-da. Jack and Mickey are uncomfortable with the methods that Kurt uses to either get information, gain access to the things. Again, it's the whole good, evil, and then the giant gray area that Jack talks about in the voiceover at the beginning of this episode. Let's let's show that gray area. Let's show how the good and the evil has intertwined. And we didn't see that at all in this episode. So I have just taken the last two minutes to craft a better episode than what we were given here. You're so brilliant, Nick. I know. Brilliance. It's why I insert my brilliance throughout this podcast. Was this a bad episode? No, it wasn't a bad. We've seen worse. Was this a great episode? No, not at all. So for me, I have to rate this episode a six. Quality is what you provide to whatever it is you're taking in. And I wasn't kidding at the front end of the episode where when we are given vampires inside this show, I think it's done with care Mm -hmm. and quality. Care and quality have got to be on top of the echelon, especially for something when it's like vampires. Because if it's wrong, all of you are thinking of one right now. I don't know what show it is. I don't know what TV moment it is. I don't know what feature film it is. I don't know what it is, but you're thinking about it right now. And that's what I don't want. I don't want someone to go, you know what? It's a vampire episode. And I I want the positive. I want to be able to go, oh. And then I want each and every one of the positives that pop up in my vampire-focused brain to then hopefully be at least touched on or overlaid inside of whatever I'm about to watch. Mm -hmm. Okay. We had no idea that this was about vampires, or at least I didn't. And when we hear something like night anything, it could have been something as stupid as night hunger. Oh, well. And all of you will remember night hunger. We'll drop a link inside the show notes for this episode so that you can go and listen to that one. So I had no idea what this was about. Then I found out it was about vampires was awesome. And the expectations go high because of what we've been delivered previously inside this show. Now, I have to try and not let that temper or hurt what I'm going to see inside this episode. Did I like what I saw? Yes. If I just take the meat out of what's going inside of this episode, Mm -hmm. there's a dude that loves his wife. Wife is stolen by a vampire. The X factor of trench-coated Kurt and what the hell he's been doing for 20 years, except for maybe letting his hair thin out. (laughs) And other than that, the rest of it I got. It's, it's It's his vengeance. The vengeance includes a, a cursed item. Uh, our team is involved because they hunt, they hunt and find and recover the cursed items. And then the rest is all kind of an X factor because of the twisty turnies inside this episode. So was it the best vampire anything ever? No, I don't think so at all. But I do have to start it at a seven. And with all the positives that I found, I would jump this up to an eight. There's a lot of value inside this episode because of the twisty turnies. And if you can just take in the other pieces, parts that really both Nick and I did not like about this episode, you're going to get something that's at least palatable and could have been made more palatable by the exclusion of Johnny Ventura (laughs) and some narration. 
What if they had Johnny narrating from a different city? No? That doesn't fix anything. Okay, well, damn. Call to the audience. You know what? You know what can fix everything, though? Your feedback. Contact us over at our website, CuriousKidsPodcast.com. Fill out that quick web form. Tell us what you think. Ah, so much fun and value inside this episode mm-hmm. of the Curious Kids Podcast. Our focus on what season three. What in the three. world is that sound, oh, what, Mike? What is that? I thought that was you, dude. What is no, that? No, it's not me. It's not me. It's outside. It, Do you hear that? I, what in the... Oh, my... Nick, oh. look out the window. Oh! Those look like giant vampire bats surrounding the studio. I think they are giant vampire well, bats surrounding the studio. What are we going to do? I don't know. What are we going to... Oh, I, I well, don't have any holy water. Oh, wait a second. I know. Hmm. Here it is! It's the microphone of fire! The microphone of fire? The microphone of fire! I got it on eBay, man! eBay? Uh, so, so it's 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 like the cross of fire. No, no, eBay is this online auction site. No, 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 not, not important not, right now. No, I know what eBay is. Oh, I'm okay. talking about, does the microphone of fire work like the cross of fire in this episode of Friday the 13th, the series that we just got finished reviewing? It does! All we gotta do is kill somebody! Woo! Now, don't freak out, because I already paid the bill. I'm not even going to ask questions. No problem. Let's go, Nick. Die, vampires, come! Get him, Nick! You vampire sons of bitches! Die! Die! Oh, God, don't know. They're in my hair. They're in my hair! Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. the club trench-coated kurt finds his way back towards the club that doesn't make any sense that sounds redundant mike it does you know maybe you should rewrite that there was a guy that was heading back at the the club club. he went back to the club club. that's amazing